Hey guys, we wanted to jump on here at the beginning of the episode and give you a little bit of an update. We recorded this episode a week or so ago before things with coronavirus started to get really bad here in the United States. And so we just felt like it was important for us to come on here and acknowledge that and to check in on everybody and to give you guys a couple updates with what's been happening. So Ice and FireCon has been officially rescheduled, postponed, rescheduled to October 29th through November 1st this year. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bummer, but we're glad that it's not canceled and that it's just postponed. So we talked about it at the end of this episode and we talked about it being in April and it's still happening. It's just going to be happening at the end of the year this year. So... We thought it was better to acknowledge that at the beginning of the episode instead of trying to cut it out and make awkward editing happening. So we hope that you're all staying safe and quarantined, even though that doesn't sound like a fun thing. It's not fun to say we hope that you're all staying quarantined, but it seems like that's what we're all supposed to do right mm-hmm. now. So we hope that it's going well and we hope that things like your hobbies and things like good TV shows and good books are filling your time and board games with your friends. And so many of those now are telecommunicable. You can hop. I saw yesterday on the Nintendo switch that there's like so many games for sale. There was something for like five cents. I think you guys get what I'm saying. I mean, we're going to, we're going to be able to pull through all this together. Plus we have two new podcasts coming out this week. Yeah. So we, at least we can entertain you. While you're stuck we'll at home. Try. Yeah, we'll do our best. <laughs> or at least we'll entertain each other <laughs> yeah. by trying to put more out there for everyone. Exactly. But stay safe, wash your hands, stay sane, and we love you. We'll get into the episode. Chapter. Nope. Damn it. So many tabs. <laughs> So many buttons, so many tabs. So many, too many for this. Okay, chapter, chapter 94. <laughs> Gotta say it like that. Chapter 94 of A Feast with Dragons and chapter 49 of A Dance of Dragons. So 49 chapters into A Dance of Dragons, Jamie's first chapter. What's up, everybody? We back. Hannah, what'd you think? Um, I love a good Jamie chapter. I love – I forgot the end of this chapter. Did you forget the moment? I had – I mean, I remembered that Jamie and Bran, spoiler, had met up again. But I had just forgotten how it had happened and kind of like glossed past it. You know what I mean? hmm And so it was kind of nice at the end of this chapter. It was like a little surprise. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Imagine being – Imagine having to wait the whole time. You've had to wait for the published order. Uh, Storm of Swords is finished. You're like, okay, all right. That can't be true. That epilogue, it can't be true. I know. A Feast for Crows, and not all the characters are in it. And years later, A Dance with Dragons. It's been all that time, so now we're reaching, Jamie, like I said, 49 chapters into the book. So not only have you waited for the release of the book, but now you've waited during your read to get to chapter 49, and now you're with Jamie. And now we're experiencing the the beginning of it, but I feel like we should just maybe read or talk about with gusto how it felt like a, a throwback to A Feast for Crows. Like, okay, 
we're literally seeing the uh, when he's winding his way along the path toward Raven Tree Hall, or at least toward the the Bracken siege lines, the uh, the ash just reminding, sort of like re-summing up a feast for crows. So you've waited all that time, and now you've gotten forty nine chapters in, and uh, it's like a check back in. We're checking back in with Jamie's progress in so many different ways, and uh, I know in our reread. The chances are, if we look at statistically speaking, you're listening to this way after it was released. Most people that are hearing this way after it was released. So if you're listening to the, the podcast chronologically, we did a Jamie chapter a few episodes ago. So a part of this reading order is establishing the through line of the narrative in a way that mixes the two books together in a satisfying, I don't know, what word am I looking for there? In a satisfying way? I mean. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. But uh, reading it for reading it for the first time, all of that anticipation and questioning would have been there. Also, uh, a big space between the last time you see Brienne, and then, of course, her appearing here, like you said at the end of the chapter, in such a surprising way. It just sort of it it compounds doubly because I feel like the anticipation to talk to Jamie or to check back in with Jamie would probably be palpable at this point. Mm -hmm. And also that, that just extra sugar on top at the very end. When literally it's Brienne. He's been thinking of her, not only in this chapter, but usually, and I know that other people are thinking about Brienne when they're reading Jamie chapters as well. So for it to round out like this and for it to have so many mysterious implications to know that she's not here to actually see Jamie or I guess the the smart thing to say in that in that case would be, we know that she didn't actually find Sansa, and that right. she's not actually taking right. Jamie back to see Sansa or to rescue Sansa from the Hound, which is what she says that the Hound will, the Hound will right. kill Sansa. It's something much darker and much worse. So that's cool. It's exciting, and I think yeah, it's like you're saying we just saw Jamie. I mean, even in terms of chronologically from our podcast perspective, not that long ago, but I still feel like this chapter very much had that air of it's been a minute. What's Jamie up to? He's kind of riding in triumph almost into the situation that he's about to go in and fix. And I thought it was a really, really good chapter. Yeah. I don't know. I had a lot of fun with it too. There's some stuff that stood out in a, sort of hilarious cartoonish way that I had to go back. I had to I had to go back and reread the the paragraph where Jonas Bracken is where, where Jamie <laughs> walks in on him. Yeah. And Hildy. It's like laugh out loud funny. Nameless girl at this point. It's ridiculous and cartoonish because sometimes sometimes he's describing someone dying in this book and then sometimes he's describing someone's genitals flopping around <laughs> as he get, goes across the room, which is so good. It's so funny because I think that it's such a great way to describe how chilled out this whole siege situation is. And I know that the idea is to starve them out and to kind of wait for everything to happen. But the thought of Jamie just waltzing in there unannounced without anybody really knowing what he's about to do, without anybody warning anybody that he's coming in to this situation where Things are obviously a little bit more low key. Things are time is passing slowly. He says, "What does he say?" Um, he arrives at at Bracken's tent, and before that, he's kind of thinking. He has this line where he says that something about boredom and routine are the enemy to discipline, and mm -hmm. that this has kind of become like a very bored routine. 
and Bracken talks about how he'll everything will be done within by the next full moon and it'll all be yielded by then and Jamie's like actually it'll be yield he'll yield before the sun goes down so let's go handle the situation so I thought it was very it was such a great way to introduce it sets the tone you don't even need any of the backstory of what's been going on in the last six months because it's just like this very lighthearted great tone for Jamie to walk into and to kind of sweep everything clean what a crazy situation with these people it's so grim we're in the Riverlands. The War of the Five Kings has been rearing its ugly head for a while now, and everyone's sick of it. It just seems to be the overall vibe. Jamie, too, especially after the the last time we saw him with Blackfish. I feel like it's a deeper cut to Jamie than we understand as readers, partially because we like Brendan Blackfish, but try to put yourself in the perspective of him and everyone else. Like They're really cut deep for some reason. I, mean, I guess I get why symbolically, but they're just like, oh man, what a, a stain on the, what would have been a, a good takeover, an actual takeover of River Run. We have Ed Tully in our, in our clutches, but oh, if we only had the Blackfish. Well, it's kind of like, like you're saying, the remnants of the War of the Five Kings kind of playing out here. It kind of is like that at the end of the chapter when Jamie is having the conversation with, um, what's his name? Who's the the boy that he takes with him? Hoster? H- Hoster? Hoster. Haas. Yeah. Well, his friends call him Haas. Yeah. Oh, so we should call him, we should, we should call him that, too, because we're his pals. Of course, of course. He's talking to him about how um, as long as men remember the wrongs done to their fathers, then um, – let me find the quote. As long as men remember the wrongs done to their for- forebears, no peace will ever last. And so it's just kind of this idea of this never-ending – cycle of revenge and um getting justice for your ancestors that this very cyclical thing and carrying on these ideas that your parents hold on to and i felt like so much of this chapter feels like a turn as we've been talking about with a lot of things happening in dance a changing of the guard so we're still dealing with some of For the sure. ends of the War of the Five Kings, and Jamie sees remnants of his father everywhere, and they're spending a lot of time thinking about somebody like Blackfish, who is big in the old guard, you know, and then this conversation at the end of the chapter. Um, and we even get a little bit of a shout-out to the King of the North, King in my heart, Rob Stark, the young wolf, for like three seconds. Um, but I feel like all of that just really one of the overarching themes of this is the movement forward, which is such a simplistic way to say it. But I just felt like there were so many lessons in this as Jamie's moving forward away from Cersei as well towards Brienne and whatever's going on there that the changing of the guard is coming. If that makes any sense. Oh, totally. It's like the people there are aware of the reality of how they're just part of a greater game, more so than most people that we've reached in the story. Just like you said, the sort of lax nature of the Bracken camp was, how the guards just... So I, I realized that Jamie carries a lot of momentum and that they're actually bringing men that don't seem the same degree of tired and bored with everything. The people at the siege and, of course, the the Blackwood people inside of Raven Tree Hall are feeling... They don't. They have a different kind of energy, so they're putting off a totally different vibe. And so the momentum of Jamie walking up with this golden hand and looking several degrees more polished than everyone else, and probably a little bit bored too, is alarming. So I realize that them letting him in is is 
like the first level of well maybe it's just they took them by surprise and the blackwoods or sorry the uh brackens have bent the knee so it's it's not crazy that the that they would just let Jamie walk in there, but just let's compound the reality of the situation and have Lord Jonas Bracken be in the middle of fucking someone. Yeah, it just feels crazy <laughs> because of that, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And he's putting his pants on backwards. He's so flustered, the poor thing. Yeah. The whole thing was kind of cartoonish in there. What did you think about the girl and how interested she was in Jamie? I thought it was almost the opposite of how interested Jamie was in her. What do you mean? I just felt like he – we don't often see Jamie thinking twice about somebody, from what I recall at least. And so him thinking about her and finding her appealing and – Continually. All, yeah, over the course of, of of a little bit of time and her name being repeated a couple times to me, it just stood out. Um, I, I really like the line when he's. she's like, do you have a wife, sir? And he's like, no, I have a sister, which I thought was really funny. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, incest <laughs> is really funny. Yeah, incest is hilarious. <laughs> I, I feel like Jamie was... Uh... He's thinking about that letter that he gets from her. the, And he's thinking about how he's finally able to go home to the king, he tells himself. Um, but then he also thinks to Cersei as well. Another part of him whispers in the back of his head. And then he remembers the letter that's like come at once. And then he's like, I really like this line. He goes, even if he had gone back, he could not hope to save her. She was guilty of every treason laid against her. And he was short a sword hand. And we're already getting so many traces of Jamie letting Cersei go. And I really like the way it's done in this chapter because it seems so real that he's trying to think about other things and he's upset. But in the back of his mind she still whispers to him, which I think is so legit. That's like how things tend to go. But to have that and then just a couple sentences later, to have this moment with Hildy, I think, yeah, was meant to put us in the position of he's continuing to turn away from Cersei, forgetting her. This is just part of that. And Hildy is just a, a moment that we can kind of latch on to. Yeah, she, he was really intrigued by how she was trying to cover herself up. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's hard to like t- take that any of this seriously because i just think about um bracken just hurriedly like whoa what he picks up his sword <laughs> yeah. here let's read oh, yeah. the quote read that <laughs> they were well and truly at it you know i gotta move my computer they were well and truly at it when he entered, so intent on their rutting that no, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you wanted to read it. <laughs> so intent on their rutting. You're so silly, George. She's like covering herself up like a Disney princess. Like, oh, my Aladdin silk is only is only so large. So intent on their rutting that neither took any note of his arrival. The woman had her eyes closed. Her hands clutched the coarse brown hair on Bracken's Ugh. back. She gasped every time he drove into her. His lordship's head was buried in her breast. Jesus. His hands locked around her hips. Jamie cleared his throat. Lord, Lord Janos? Lord Jonas. Do you think his hands fit all the way around her hips? <laughs> <laughs> the woman's eyes flew open as she gave a startled shriek. Jonas Bracken rolled off her, grabbed for his scabbard, and came up with naked still in hand, cursing. Seven bloody hells, he started. Who dares? Then he saw Jamie's white cloak and golden breastplate. <laughs> his sword dropped. Lannister? I just love that. 
That's such that. a good moment that is with it, just like him frantically grasping for his sword. More Hildy. You've been looking at my turnips since you come in. I guess this is the first Hildy. You've been. I, I don't have a Hildy accent. That's okay. <laughs> Do your best. <laughs> <laughs> she seems like she's really forward. Maybe a little too forward. I think she's Maybe. pretty forward. Yeah. I don't she I'm not saying that I That's the thing. I'm not I don't disapprove of what she's doing. I'm not going to hate the game. Of course not. Because he does have a hand made of solid gold. But I'm curious about the decision here to have her be so forward. Did you was that the strike you was weird at all? I'm reading that and I'm like, okay. Sometimes it gets a little strange around his sex scenes. Sometimes mm-hmm. a little bit. And I, I'm I don't mean like it makes me uncomfortable. I mean like I'm wondering what's going on it's right. like i was with i was with you man right. i was with you until now all the way until that moment yeah i don't i didn't necessarily read it as her being super forward only because i was coming at it from this space of jamie's intrigued by her and so to me that just kind of like played into that a little bit more he was so Tyrion in this scene just this sort of interior thoughts while he was back and forth with her just it's a kind of jamie that we really haven't seen in a long time because he is that person that he joked about as far as having only one and my little brother has known a hundred whores i'm sure but i've only ever bettered one so it's like whoa man she must be really hot i think that's what it is must be something like that or this scene is really important to be shoved in here in this way or jamie's just really truly done even though he said it a million times but now Cersei's gone too far. But why turnips? You know what I mean? Like, I want more than that for Jamie at this point in his life. Like Brienne. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Who knows who knows what Jamie's vibe is? It seems like this girl is his vibe. For now. But it not is. completely. Not not enough to tempt me. Yeah, he holds strong. He's like, I'm a he he uses the the great excuse of what color is my cloak? Right. Of Untouchable. Course. Wow. What a great move. I just, it's a little weird just to be like, my apologies if I mistook you for something you're not. My little brother has known a hundred. Like, why are you talking about your little brother right now? Did he just get taken off guard so much that that's the only place he could go? I guess so. But I mean, he's the one who kind of waltzed on in here. I don't know what he was necessarily expecting. Bracken says she's a prize of war. He gets his breeches from the floor and shook them out. She belonged to one of Blackwood's sworn swords till I split his head in two. Put your hands down, woman. My lord of Lannister wants a proper look at those teats. To me, she's in, in a really grim situation. I know we talked about this being a crazy scene, cartoon or something. They needed to reread the initial... The, the initial moment twice, I was like, did it really happen? Did it, did it sink in the way that it did happen? Just as like a refrain from everything else. But if you remember, let's just go back. We got the time. This is Jamie's latest gig. No great hosts encircled Raven Tree as River Run had been encircled. The siege was a more intimate affair, the latest step in a dance that went back many centuries. At best, John Osbracken had 500 men about the castle. Jamie saw no siege towers, no battering rams, no catapults. Bracken did not mean to break the gates of Raven Tree nor storm its high, thick walls. With no prospect, oh. with no prospect of relief in sight, he was content to starve his rival out. 
No doubt there had been sorties and skirmishes at the start of the siege and arrows flying back and forth. Half a year into it, everyone was too tired for such nonsense. Boredom and routine had taken over the enemy's discipline. Just a little bit of context. It's just in stark contrast with what they're actually surrounded by. Do you think that there's more that we're supposed to learn more from her specifically or that she's of more importance than necessarily what we get in the scene? That's what I wanted to ask you about because I'm wondering what was the deal with this? It keeps going. I guess we could circle back and uh, talk about it once we share these lines with each other because I know you've read it, but these particularly, some of them was kind of strange to me. Okay, she says, he says, he, t- he tells her to put her hands down so he can have a look at her. That's what Bracken says to Jamie, which is like, it's like, a, he's like, yeah, I got you, but also I'm kind of insulting you at the same time. Goes on to say, Jamie ignored that. You are putting those breaches on backwards, my lord, he told Bracken. Sick burn. Her efforts to conceal herself were oddly provocative, far more so than if she'd simply gone about the business naked. Do you have a name, woman? He asked her. So maybe he's confused in this moment. His feelings are confusing him. So he's like, okay, do you have a name? That's what That's what you do. That's like the basic move. Someone like Jamie knows that. Like, hey, what's your name? Right. He's, he's being direct with her. And uh, I didn't highlight the rest of that. I guess I didn't find it that important. <laughs> she Later she replies to the color of his cloak and says, but your hand is solid gold. I like that in a man. And what is it you like in a woman, my lord? Jamie says, innocence. <laughs> like, what? He's just, like, quipping back and forth with her. Is So you took that as a quip? Because I thought he was being just, I thought he was being legit. Not legit. I thought he was being sincere. I thought he thought that was an okay thing to say. Oh, really? Yeah. To me, I, t- I feel like that, that's such a wild thing to say very seriously and genuinely. But maybe it comes from him being mad at Cersei for what she's been doing. Or him being off guard some in this moment. I just thought it was like almost like a funny thing to say. Okay. In this moment. That's how I read it. I mean, I didn't read it too much into it because I just saw it as more focused on Jamie and less focused on her, like in terms of importance. I'm thinking about Jamie for sure in this moment. I'm just wondering if he's the kind of person that replies to a girl that he likes innocence in a girl, it just doesn't seem like that's the kind of thing he would say like, Oh, I like innocence. So you're saying that he's trying to be funny. I mean, maybe like a normal Jamie, like sort of biting back at Brienne sort of thing. Yeah. That's kind of how I read it. doesn't mean that that's that's a better way. I mean, that that's the perfect thing to say to someone who you've just walked on getting pile drive by this guy for sure. It's kind of an awkward situation. And to me, it's, a little bit of levity. I mean, it's not like nice <laughs> by any means, but that's how I read it. It just seems kind of square for him. Usually he's a little bit more edgy. But isn't that the point? He's fucking his sister. Right. His kids with his sister. Innocence. Are you trying to say that he seems like he's caught off guard? I'm just wondering about the writing choices, I guess. if it If this is... With the same amount of, I guess, I don't know what I'm looking, what word I'm searching for. Is it is this as good as the rest of the chapter or as good as the other choices that he's made? Or is this kind of a little wiggly, like, mm, what's going on with this girl here? Why is she so interested in him? And why does she grab his dick on the way out? 
Like she's a court jester or something. But we've seen like hundreds of moments like that throughout A Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, but this late in the game with Jamie, though? I just think especially a little bit before this or a little bit after, I can't remember. He's thinking about how, he's thinking about Marcella and how she, it, it's right, it's in the middle of this. She makes a joke about, I'm looking at it right now. he was like innocent. She was like, I mean in a woman, not in a daughter. And yeah, he starts thinking about Marcella. And he thinks about how, let me flip the page, but he thinks about how he'll need to tell how she's not, uh, I guess it's not right here, how she's no longer, he thinks about how he's the, she's the daughter of Cersei and him. Mm-hmm. And how she's, Marcella is not who people think she is. And she's being married off under false pretenses. And so. Dora Martell me, won't like that. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's like. Jamie's having all these thoughts about Cersei betraying him, about the kids that they have together, about what that means for all these allegiances, and how their cute little secret that they've been able to keep up for so long is about to really turn itself on its head and everything could potentially become undone. And he's standing in front of this woman, he's walked into this situation, and it's a little bit awkward, but it's a little bit funny, but it's a little bit like all of these things tied up in one and this woman asks him what he likes and he says innocence which is so in my opinion not jamie it's either stuffy or funny that's all i'm trying to say and i, I want to decide which one it is for my i think it's funny for my read of it you know what i mean to have my read of the chapter you should just agree with my opinion <laughs> <laughs> this is a like the tail end of what you were talking about it quotes and he's talking about the uh <clears throat> the situation he's built for himself, knots and tangles, Jamie thought, wishing he could cut through all of it with one swift stroke of his sword. I have sworn a vow, he told Hildy wearily. So in that moment, he's saying, I'm not going to follow through with this joke that we're joking about. But why can't he just continue to joke like he usually does? Like, why is he talking about swearing a vow while this guy's putting his pants on? Yeah, but how do, to me, the tone of that is like... To me, I still see that because then her response right away is no turnips for you. Then the girl said saucily. Mm. Aren't they just flirting with each other? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure. So that worked momentum wise. It worked completely for you. Yeah. I didn't have a problem with it. That was weirding me out. <laughs> what do you think is weird about it? You just think it's out of character for him or it's something that he wouldn't necessarily do? My my note here at the end of it is, yikes, she left him in epic fashion or cheese. It's either either she's hilarious or this is like Tyrion doing a backflip or a triple backflip at the beginning of a Game of Thrones. Mm. You know? Yeah. I I mean, like I said. I have sworn a vow, he told Hildy warily. Have you ever like flirted with somebody? Before? I don't do it warily. <laughs> <laughs> I guess warily. And also I would use a contraction in that moment maybe. I wouldn't say I have sworn a vow with the soft, with a hard H. I would say I've sworn a vow or uh, I, I would point my cloak wordlessly or something. I don't know. He already did that. He said something about his cloak. Did, a cloak, did he? No. I mean, he may have just pointed at it before. I forget. He said, he said like look at the color or something. Yeah, which is infinitely more smooth. Hmm. I can see why you could potentially, this could potentially give you pause, but 
she basically takes off her hat and dips it and like does a little jig when she leaves too. (laughs) (laughs) Saucily. You hear like a little little jingle or something. Maybe she's just chill and funny, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I like Hildy. Do you think we'll see her again? Personally, I don't think so. I hate saying things definitively. (laughs) I don't think so. Like I said, like I already said, I think that she's meant to be a piece in Jamie's redemption arc. I don't think that she's necessarily something that's going to be someone that's necessarily going to be a player down the road. But I think that some folks may disagree with that. Really? What kind of folks are you talking about? Just like folks. Like Hildy Hildy fan 101. (laughs) Justice for Hildy. Honestly, though, Hildy, shout out to Hildy for being a part of this. I want to go back to the beginning of the chapter uh, again and read the whole thing. No, for being a part of this, uh, for being a part of this bleak countryside and bleak situation with these two families being at odds with each other being escalated in a furious amount by this war of the five kings and this war between the Starks and the Lannisters that have given people the ability to act on their, to not only hilariously choose sides against each other, which I think it's funny historically that the Brackens are the ones who sided with the Lannisters first. Mm-hmm. Just the way that it's all shook out, just to have the, a person, to have mm-hmm. someone inside of it, still be like this to have the person that she was with unless she was claimed by the other person in the same sort of fashion we're not we don't know anything about the person she used to be with but we know that this guy that she's having sex with killed him and so this is like the full either the full primal thing is taken over either way it's just it's a really negative situation it's dark it's really grim it's really depressing Mm -hmm. a lot of this is just really grim and depressing when you really think about it yeah but so is a lot of when we look at sex in a song of ice and fire a lot of it is depressing oh for sure because a lot of it is power play and a lot of it is has very little to do with consent and so i think that that's passion romance yeah it's like one of the I think that that's like a big theme that you can take away from George R. R. Martin when you're talking about dealing with women, especially in positions of, not in positions of power. Even women in positions of power are often put in these types of situations. And so, you know, I think that this is just another example of how power dynamics and how they're, yeah, and, and how power dynamics are often used at the disadvantage of women it's so weird that's why it's just it's just it seemed like almost like an overperformance to me maybe that's part of it too because she's mm-hmm. just dealing she's just trying to get in and out of that room the smoothest way possible like maybe this guy punches her i don't know what people do <laughs> like to- torture device <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no i don't know it's an odd situation for jamie to kind of roll into yeah. and i think that as you were kind of saying at the beginning juxtaposed with what's going on outside and what is or isn't going on outside. And I think that it says a lot about um, Bracken, Jonas Bracken as well, just like the kind of guy he is. Oh, for sure. And and so walking in on this, the whole Hildy situation, and then they start to have this conversation about the next steps, and Bracken is so confident that they're close and Jamie's like, well, why don't I go handle it? And then 
Bracken is talking about all the things that he's going to get and the lands that he's going to receive because he's done all this great work while he's been really doing it up out here. And in reality, he's not really been doing anything except for sitting out here with a few arrows flying back and forth, potentially. It's like, now we can put soldiers to our rivalry. Thanks for right. thanks for the permission, everybody. Dads, multiple dads. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Now I can fight the guy that I hate. Jamie does not like this dude, though. So I feel like the byproduct of all this hasn't, like, the situation hasn't done him any favors, but... I think that also the kind of redemption arc, I hate to say that, but it's an easy way to describe what we're doing with Jamie in the last book in this book, or at least feeling more warm feelings from him and seeing him make decisions that we relate to, even though his pride is obviously screaming inside of him and he doesn't agree with how everyone is acting around him. He seems to be kind of all right with this, walking in on a spoil of war and not not being sort of personally affronted and not taking the girl away. And he doesn't have any sort of interior thoughts about making sure that she goes back to King's Landing with them or something. She's not being used by this guy all the time. I mean, he's not that noble. Yeah, he's not that <laughs> he's noble. He's not that good of a guy. But also, <laughs> Come she's, on. she's not acting like she's too hard done by at the same time. At least that's his read on it. Which is probably has a lot to do with the way that he feels about her too. This is a weird situation when you really think about it. It's like this yeah. could potentially be one of the darker ones. He's walking on someone that you know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus Christ. It's like she can't complain about it. What's where's she gonna go? This is where she's from. Well, exactly. 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 Yeah, that's dark stuff. It's like I was saying earlier, kind of ties into all of that that whole narrative. So And and when we're talking to Bracken, he it was revealed that one of his daughters was raped. One of his daughters was raped. Yes. It's like, okay, let's just continue the cycle. Let's push all this forward. Yeah, welcome to a song of ice and fire. Mm-hmm. It's like that. It's just the br- brutal reality. And I feel like often it's not addressed as part of the m- main plot line necessarily it's always these undertones as we're dealing with all these other themes it's kind of like a secondary fiddle to what's happening from the main narrative perspective everyone just wants to be done with the situation and that's the vibe which is it's funny because (laughs) relatable (laughs) they they don't want the they don't want it to go beyond skirmishes but they also want it to be over with and when uh jamie rides to to go meet with Titus Blackwood inside of Raven Tree Hall, he says something along the lines of, I, you're, I can't say that you're welcome here, but I also can't say that I haven't been looking forward to you coming. What did you think about that whole interaction between the two of them? Because I felt like I just found so much pleasure in, and I don't know if it was after getting out of the whole situation with Bracken and Hildy, it's like a, a sweet relief to be in this I just felt like they were playing the game so well and so nicely to each other. And I felt like Jamie was getting his moment to kind of play in his father's shoes, maybe. And I just really enjoyed their back and forth. I thought it was really, I don't know. I I can't really describe why I liked it so much. But he tells him he doesn't have to kneel in the mud Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, he doesn't want to. I love that. And then they get up into his room and he's like you can just sit we don't have to say you could say that we kneeled we don't have to do this like it's just the whole thing was just kind of i want to read it go for it the note is beautiful the quote is 
Blackwood hesitated a moment. Is it your wish that I dismount and kneel before you here and now? A hundred eyes were looking on. The wind is cold and the yard is muddy, said Jamie. You can do your kneeling on the carpet and your solar once we've agreed on terms. That is chivalrous of you, said Lord Tidos. Come, sir, my hall might lack for food, but never for courtesy. Never for courtesy. I like that. Yeah, that was cool. And also shout out to his solar for having that beautiful view behind the double doors of the godswood there in Raven Tree Hall. I mean, it's truly the penthouse suite of this place. And also <laughs> like a a view of the centerpiece or centerpiece rather of uh I mean, obviously the wordwood tree's dead right now, so we're gonna have to get into this in some fashion, but why don't we just get into it right the, now? The main the main draw, at least my main draw of where we are in this chapter and we don't spend any time there but it's nice to have it sort of like as a a side character just floating in the background especially after we get the description of the ravens just i don't know they just for some reason every night they just fly back to this dead tree and they fill the leaves up like they're actual leaves it's really weird no big deal no big deal <laughs> this has no significance in any sort of plot lines going forward and the ravens asked jamie where are they he can't help it he's just like me we go into just talking about the uh conversation and you're distracted like i was distracted by the view of this solar of his of his private living quarters of uh of the gods would and the ravens asked jamie where are they they come out at dusk and roost all, and they come out at dusk and roost all night hundreds of them they cover the tree like black leaves every limb and every branch they've been coming for thousands of years how or why no man can say <laughs> yet the tree draws them every night what do you think about this what do i think of the great godswood tree in the middle of raven tree hall in the middle mm -hmm. of uh with with some of the oldest stonework that we've seen in the series so far drawing for thousands of years drawing a tree amount of crows every night <laughs> yes and this giant <laughs> monolithic tree that stands above the rest that you can see from hills away mm -hmm. <laughs> crows fly from farthings farthings of distance away to land on this tree and sit at night how does it make you feel i don't know i'm mad why are you mad? I'm not mad. It's like, what? What do you think? Don't you think it's some sort of Blood Raven thing? This this predates Blood Raven, though. You're saying that Blood Raven incepted his own Blood Ravenness? Isn't that, isn't him, isn't all the ravens, isn't that all connected? Like, all the ravens are coming because they're connected to him in some way, like, watching over what's going on here? It's possible. What I mean, do you think that he's controlling... Every raven that flies under this tree? I think that all of that's happening on purpose. I think that that's part of... I think that he has interest in this place, and so he's... This is where he's from. Yeah, so he's just kind of keeping tabs on it, you know? Like, it's a connection to his former self. So he has some sort of look into... And the ravens, I think, are the way he's able to do that. That's what I think. So you think that Brendan Rivers is telepathically communicating with all of these birds from a similar great weirwood tree deep in the north, and they're landing here, and he's spying on people with them? I mean, I decay how it works specifically, but I do think that, yeah, he's using them to be able to keep an eye 
and keep connected to this place. I wonder why, though. Um, I don't know. I think that is a good question. Pulls up. Map I, of Westeros. I mean, I just think it's it's his home. And there's so much emphasis on people's longing for their home in A Song of Ways and Fire. Daenerys, Sansa. So to me, it would make sense to have another character who's longs hmm. for home in some sort of way. That's a really sort of human way to look at something I would normally color with sinister intent. What would you, I mean, what would you say? I don't think of him piloting this technology in a way that isn't outside of his want to, uh, I guess, get further along in his plan. We don't really know what his plan is yet. So me thinking about him just watching over his home is, uh, I guess, a little bit too romantic for the kind of person that's grown his body into a tree. But maybe maybe that's, you know, a part of it. Maybe if if he's if he's able to be as sort of infinite as it seems or have as much lateral movement in time and space as he is able to do with things that are at least somewhat connected through the Werewood network, but still we don't quite know how that like the the warging with the crows really works. The if there's distance or if that sort of technical ability can go beyond I mean it can go beyond the wall and it can go what I'm what I'm Wondering is if it can go that far, and it's just, just it's just so so powerful. You know what I mean? Like Jesus, right. if we're if we're in Raven Tree Hall right now with Jamie, and we're talking about it's different when we're with Stannis, and there's a couple birds, and they're like talking about bird shit. We've right. already we've already especially since we met the first crow that was able to sort of have this strange voice from the beyond up at the wall with John where stuff is already weird. And we already know that warging and all that stuff is possible, but for it to be coming like this and to be so overwhelming, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, like what does this, uh, what's the limit of what they can do, you know? And, and is the brute force of dragons really enough? I guess uh, uh, not that dragons are going to be specifically against. I'm just wondering where the yin and the yang is with this. Like, where's the balance? You know what I mean? Like, is the raw power of a dragon or the kind of uh, technology that a fire mage uses to climb a, a fire ladder in the city of Karth? Like, is that like the sort of opposite side of the power of maybe one person or other people like this to be able to utilize, in this case, like a physical area? That's just, it seems so overpowered. I agree. It's it's so it seems it's much deeper and more ancient than any sort of dragon esque type of thing can hold a candle to, but but I don't see I don't see what else something like this could be. Like it's not random, that's for sure. Right. One second, I'm pulling up a map. <laughs> what a dad move. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of shit is gonna go down in the middle of the continent. Like what? Just in general? Like astral bodies behaving like missiles. Interesting. Or groups of men basically behaving like missiles, just exploding on each other violently. I mean, if you think about, it's like we were saying at the beginning of this chapter that they're still dealing with the remnants of the War of the Five Kings. And so much of the theme of feast is 
us seeing the repercussions of the games that they've been playing in King's Landing trickling out into the rest of the world. So, yeah, these guys are going to be involved in whatever happens, absolutely. But why does Bloodraven care so much? Because it's where his mom's from. Shout out to Bloodraven's mom. He loves his mom. <laughs> is that not relatable? <laughs> Melissa Blackwood, who also also is shouted out in this chapter by uh, Haas. I don't know why I'm calling him Haas. It's just so much easier to call him Haas at this I mean, point. Go for it. It's just also kind of awkward that he's so clearly named after Haas Tertulli. It's like, come on. How many, like, were you really going to get a lot? Of, will you get, how big's the favor to name your kid <laughs> after the guy? You know what I mean? To name yeah. your kid after the guy who's currently your liege lord. Maybe it's he like, just likes the name. Yeah. It's, no, like it's, a family, it's like a family name, you know? It's a really cool name. So, Hoster Blackwood. All right. Can we talk about... Haas? We're not talking about Haas anymore? No, I don't want to talk about Haas. Can we talk Can we talk Dang. about King Aegon Targaryen IV and his affinity for women of this region? And women in general, but... And, and for this region's likelihood of spawning two such influential characters, one being Bittersteel and one being Brendan Rivers, who we're just, and we're still confused about. Go on. Something's cracking <laughs> here is all I'm saying. I'm wondering about all these birds. That's a weird thing. That is a really weird thing for us just to find. Oh, you guys remember a Feast for Crows? Jamie's here and Brienne's about to show up. Remember that time she got bit? Here are 3,000 birds. On a dead weirwood tree. On a dead weirwood tree. How would the Brackens get in there to poison it? That's what I want to know. Is that what happened? That's what Blackwood thinks. Thomas Blackwood's like, I think the Brackens are poisoning things. It's like, I don't know, man. Maybe the thing is starving too. Yeah, but they hate each other. So they're always going to think that the other is coming for the other. It can't really be about these mistresses, honestly. What do you mean? Their rivalry. It's not just about that. It's about something deeper. Well, I mean, that's, I think that's as deeper and it's deep as big as it gets. That you can't like, that like escalates and that you just never let go of. That's a real thing. I guess it's just what they've been dealing with redux because this is something that predated the Andals, or at least they talk about it predating the Andals whenever the, uh, the Blackwoods had the, the royal seat of the area. But it's so funny how Bracken tells a complete opposite story. It's just like, Jesus. We're just swirling around these facts here. We all we all know what the point is. No one's legit. We get it. No one is legit. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is flawed. Everyone's a human being. And no one's story is that complete. It's like, okay, well, we're just barely scraping by here, aren't we? Right. We're barely scraping by and we're switching. The power is switching hands. We're hoping we're going to get a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I love the, uh, the breakdown of locations whenever... John Spracken was talking about all the places that they get to have. The East Bank of the Widow's Wash from Crossbow Rig to Rutting Meadow. You remember that? And all the islands in the stream. Grind Corn, Muddy Hall, Lord's Mill, Ravishment, Battle Valley, Old Forge, Buckle, Black Buckle. Hold on. Which ones would I actually think were funny? <laughs> Here we go. Mudgrave, Waspwood, Barbara's Teats. Missy's teats. It's like that. Um, this is so random, but it's like that county in California, Yolo County. What? Have you heard about that? There's this county no. in California. They they found there's a couple confirmed cases of the coronavirus there, and so 
people were talking about Yolo County. Every once in a while it comes up in the news, but it's like one of those it's one of those things where it feels like that would fit into that line of names that you just read off. The creators of the simulation were just like, All right, we're gonna have a Mexico, Missouri. All right, we can do yeah. it twice. Yeah, 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 exactly. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> Blood Raven. <laughs> I don't know, man. You haven't you haven't given me an opinion. You just think that he's like sitting in a like a bird suit. Like he's just watching, just looking where his mom lives. He's really How thinking. Is that not an opinion? <laughs> that is my opinion. <laughs> You're right. I guess it's just so bad it doesn't count. <laughs> I don't think it's bad. Like I <laughs> to me, that's like a very human I don't know. I think that it humanizes him a little bit. What else is it though? Like I don't understand what your opinion is. Well, I guess I'm just confused, but you're probably right to look toward a more simplistic answer. Like it's probably I don't think it's simplistic, but like it's like you said, even the fact that this is even happening here at this type of scale, there's nothing simplistic about it. But this seems like such an important place throughout history, you know? This is where it, Sir Arlen's right. from, or at least nearby, Pennytree. Mm-hmm. I know that that's just a little bit of more in-world, in-universe references to dot everything more detailed out. Like, oh, look at this. It's beautiful. But so, of course, something, of course something like this job. would happen here. Do you think that it's something... I mean, you said a little bit earlier that you think stuff's going to go down here. So do you think that it's part of some grander setting the stage for something else? I think that there's definitely a lot of weirdness with Blood Raven. And I think that we didn't have to we didn't have to reference him so sharply and, and theme and sort of subtle mystery in the background of this chapter. It could have been something else entirely, but there it's just so such a big it's just a you can't ignore birds doing the same thing for thousands of years on a tree it's just come on what is what's going on here right and they have no explanation of course they're not going to have any explanation but they're just so cavalier about it but when they say thousands of years you say blood raven has been doing that for thousands of years i mean we don't know about any limits necessarily on his ability to see because you think about um Brand's able to go backwards and forwards, but, right? Mm-hmm. So wouldn't he be able to as well? No, I don't think that he can't do it. I'm just wondering why in such a big way. Is it just kind of like a, because you can do it, why not just do it for your hometown? Just have it. <laughs> Put on for your city. <laughs> yeah, establish this crazy <laughs> thing in it. It's It's, I don't know. It it's seems to be a, so far south to to muster all of this. But northern it's not energy. a random Ooh. place. And no, don't they didn't they worship the old gods here? They do, and they still do. So no, the godswood is a big deal here, and it's a beautiful godswood. And like I said, this heart tree, the the heart tree here is is giant. It's giant and old. This place is very old. If this had no connection to his ancestral home, like if this was straight up just a rando place. To me, that would seem weirder to just be some rando place so far south. But it's really not that rando. No, it's not. Now I'm, I'm looking at it on a map. But it's <laughs> it's cool to have it. It's cool to have it at this point in the story to continue to double down on the the weirwood lore. 
I, I love it. I really love it. But that's the stuff that I'm having fun talking about the most, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I was going to say, imagine we're between the books releasing, you know, but we really are. And it's just, what now? Yeah. Like, what now after this? I know that we're supposed to keep reading and considering the relationships between our characters, but this is just kind of a looming truth where I just really want to get to the bottom of it. Because if some people are playing at this level, it's like, what is the conversations? What, what are they? I know that they're all pointing towards something, just like when Jamie meets Titus Blackwood, the down to the the way that he looks, it resonates with the way that his sigil looks. It resonates with their current state of being with their, uh, the, the place has been low in supplies for a long time. They're, kind of disinterested in what they're doing it's all very harmonic with each other and sort of in that same vein of of stuff right as we're getting you know reaching a a a further point in the story that takes us beyond these petty squabbles it's like okay let's drive it all home again with these guys what's really coming what's next and that's kind of what that god's wood and heart trees and those weird birds are representing in this chapter for me. It's like not only this promise, but it's just progress toward that part of the story. Mm-hmm. It made me think about, and I'm trying to find it because I can't, I can't find it right now. But I think it's when Jamie's talking to your boy Hoss about something, and they say something about keeping things a mystery and how that's half the fun. Oh yeah, the uh pennies that are hammered all along the bottom of the tree at Penny Tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jamie yeah. wanted to know how many there were. Yeah, just... where is that? I'm looking. I can't find it. I wanted to read it. But to me that's like almost a nod of George R. R. Martin being like there's a lot of questions here and there's not a lot of answers, but that's part of the fun of it all, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's that all about, the Blackwood boy? Yeah, no. Jamie's Jamie thinks with probably the same sort of cadence I'm thinking about all this to myself. What's that all about? Can we talk about the end of the chapter? Um we're so close to it or do you I don't know. Like there's about? there's so much other stuff I want to talk about. Like I, at one point I just loved the back and forth between Blackwood and Jamie so much. I just assumed that we would just read the whole thing back and forth to each other. I was okay. like, I'll pick one of those guys, you pick one of those guys. It's just so good. You know what I'm it saying? It's really good. I really liked it. It was it was mostly dialogue. There wasn't a lot of description between paragraphs for a while there. It was just on pace from one thing to the next. And it felt like something that really needed to get out, really needed to get out between these two people. They needed to really – it was very crucial to describe this part of the story is what it felt like to me. Or that at least that you're psychologically really wrapping your mind around what it means that these two guys are having this conversation right now this far into it. And especially how Jamie deals with all of it and how he leaves the chapter and how he deals with Bracken after dealing with Bracken first and then dealing with a different guy that he liked a little bit more and then going back through and dealing with it. It was just, uh, it felt like really important to flesh out what we're supposed to learn so far. We don't have to read it or anything. We can if you'd like to. It was great. I wish that my notes had more description about what I was actually thinking. To me, I think that also something that was interesting is the level. Like, I feel like there's a mutual respect there that you don't often see. Like, they're both buying into what all of this is. And they're both coming at it from the same level. 
like respect and courtesy. You know what I mean? Maybe it's just because it was juxtaposed with Bracken that it seemed so nice. I just think that he has no choice. That's that's probably a, a large part of it. But Jamie's I think he caught Jamie at like a nice, really, really nice point and he knows it. Well, and this is what he's been waiting for, too, because he is willing to concede so quickly and easily. I mean, he knows exactly what's going on. He just wanted to do it to the right person in the right way. He's got a lot of warmth for him, though, and has had a lot of warmth for him. I'm I'm wondering, do you think it was partially because of how much Jamie disliked Bracken that he didn't take Blackwood's daughter? I don't know. I think think that it's really sweet because you don't often... I feel like that father-daughter relationship is just sweet as a daughter with a father. <laughs> I like have such a soft spot for something like that. I think that he... Blackwood was so... Just handled this situation so well. So it's like, why would you add insult to injury? He didn't give him any trouble. He has 10 million sons. I think he also kind of has a little bit of an affinity with... With... um. And now I just want to call him Haas, which is annoying because he it reminds him of his own brother. And so I think he like has he can see I'm trying to find where it is in the in the books. He can kind of see what a place at King's Landing could do to a kid like that, you know. And so I think that there's probably a lot of different things at play. But it's a decision that I was happy that he made. This whole thing turned out to be pretty smooth. I know we had a long list of locations that, gosh, imagine your your biggest rival that at this point, Tidos's biggest rival, someone he really despises, wants just his stuff because he turned his cloak faster than the other guy did. Mm-hmm. And so Blackwood's like, all right, I know I'm going to have to part with this. So Jamie opens up this paper. He overexpects more. Jamie sort of like under delivers harshness. And then Cooley, I guess, takes some of what he would have put on Blackwood further out on Bracken. Mm-hmm. It's just so well managed. Yeah. And at the same time, I, I guess, really being successful in what he he was put out to do. And for me, it really puts the, the cherry on top of his campaign to sort of close up the wounds after he was sent from King's Landing. It's such a really, such a stressful position to be in after he got that letter from Cersei. I love you. I love you. I love you. She's like, it's so clear to me now that I'm in this cage, just how much you really matter to me. Shit's hev. It is. But, is Jamie even going to have to deal with any of it? You know what I mean? Or is he riding to his death? <laughs> like, is this like a, a Jamie farewell tour? I don't think that Jamie dies here. I don't think so necessarily either, but I think it's definitely precarious. I think that he's just, he, homeboy's dealing with a lot. And to be able to kind of go through the motions in a courteous way is a nice reprieve. Yeah. Everyone's kind of tired of what this is. I mean, how many times have we rode into a town where people are hiding inside of their houses? Mm -hmm. It's just like, okay, we get it. And it's revisit. It's, it's a revisit for them as well. Jamie's like, we're Kingsmen. And they're like, Kingsmen are literally the ones who did all of this to us. And we've seen, we've seen, yeah, a lot of places like this, like we get it kind of thing. So that's why Jamie feels kind of disinterested in the 
the weight of the people that are in there. Not that he doesn't share and concern with their struggle, but he sort of busies himself with thinking about the pennies, which is something I can relate to when mm-hmm. you're just trying to keep your mind busy inside of a situation that really isn't that mentally stimulating to you. Right. Well, and especially when people treat you that way so often, it's like you got to keep yourself occupied with something else other than focusing on this idea that anytime you go anywhere, everybody runs and hides. They hid behind those walls when raiders came. That's why there's, there's still a village here and they are hiding there again from me. It's heavy. Heavy is his conversation with Hoster, how he just sort of fell into step with allowing this guy to kind of get more familiar than Jamie normally would with people. I think he appreciated that level of intellectual conversation. And I think that it reminded him of having a talk with Tyrion. I know he mm-hmm. references Tyrion a few times. And there was that one point where he he sort of has like a happy thought about Tyrion. And then he remembers what Tyrion did and then remembers that he had to be mad. And Can I read it? Yeah, go for Tyrion it. Tyrion would like this one. They could talk from dusk to dawn, arguing about books. For a moment, his bitterness towards his brother was forgotten until he remembered what the imp had done. I think that that's part of the reason why he's taking Haas with him, though. Because somebody like him is going to, it's like he sees, he sees the good that this kid can learn. Like, getting him out of his situation and into a world where he can have these conversations. And not that he was in a bad situation, but he can have different conversations and resources available to him. It's much kinder than what would happen to a daughter in a place like that. Yeah. King's Landing. Plus, this guy's like seven feet tall. Yeah, which is <laughs> nuts. <laughs> if Jamie can have these kinds of fleeting thoughts about Tyrion, then he can forgive Cersei and he can forgive Tyrion. And this kind of stuff is going to, I think, be a part of like the sort of chess moves as far as their feelings are concerned will be, I think, it would be beautiful if so. Maybe not like directly associated with how things end up going for all of them. You know what I mean? Like it'll come to a moment where it feels like it's more practical, like maybe it has something to do with troops or like a decision that will affect like whether or not someone walks into a situation without knowing something bad is happening or something, whether or not they have each other's back, I think will sort of pivot off their ability now to sort of see each other for who they really are. And so getting reminded of the best parts of someone like he is in this conversation I think just sort of increases that sort of hope everyone has for Jamie's personal sanity right now. That he's not awkwardly like the way that Tyrion thinks about Taiwan is kind of like a broken computer. He starts to say, Where do whores go? Where mm-hmm. do whores go? Mm-hmm. And Jamie's not thinking like that about Tyrion or Taiwan. You know, he's out doing this and making progress and helping people in his own weird way. Jamie's also not as messed up as Tyrion is, I would argue. Yeah, yeah, but he is messed up though, for God's sakes. Of I course mean, he is. He's like, oh no, check out my my uh, vow. My vow is too important. Meanwhile, his twin sister is who he has kids with. I mean, of course he so is. So awkward. But I still think that in terms of how he views his family, he well, never mind. I was gonna say it's not quite as messed up as Tyrion is, and that's not true at all. But I still think that Tyrion is dealing with a little bit more darkness than than Jamie is, but. What you're talking about reminds me of when Jamie frees Tyrion in the first place, that mm-hmm. moment that he that they have between the two of them. And to have something like that happen between them down the line, especially when they face each other in opposition, which is something that's likely to happen. 
I love those brotherly moments between the two of them, and I love their relationship, and I love that there's these soft spots for each other amidst everything that's going on. And so the thought of them physically seeing each other in a tense situation and how they'll react to that and, and what they'll what they'll do either inwardly or outwardly, I think both of those things could be two different answers, and I think that... Um, it's going to be very like a very poignant, bittersweet moment. Yeah. And scary as hell because it's like all come to this or at least it all will have led to this. And then now there's we have to deal with what's happened Yeah, now, at least right right after it. And when you look at how it's – okay, you're in the chapter. We're on the outside of the, the Blackwood siege line. Not the Blackwood siege line, the – Bracken siege line of the Blackwood. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) We're on the outside of the Bracken siege line. We go inside the normal looking brown nondescript tent and some shit's going down. And we're in this sort of hyper personal scenario where we're decoding the dynamic between these three people and how ridiculous it is. But on the outside, we're sort of swimming in the truth of the whole story. The truth of the whole story is that people do really messed up stuff to guarantee power, to guarantee uh, class. That's the wrong word. To guarantee power, to guarantee status. or status. Yeah, Yeah, that's a better way to put it. That rewards them with the ability to live comfortably and live safely for people that they care about. Really to protect themselves and their women from getting raped by other people is what it really comes down to. As you can see, that the brutal nature of all this kind of reveals itself as people that are – keeping the rules and making sure the rules are followed are not quite around anymore. So the way that he feels about Tyrion, the way they feel about each other, it really matters because look at the conversation that he's having with, uh, with Hoster. He's, they're talking about rooting out the, the family of like the sort of rivalry that the Brackens and the black ones have Blackwoods have had over history a strategy has been, even though they've intermingled their blood so much over the years, the strategy has been to sort of guarantee. We we know all about blood packs and how that hopefully guarantees safety and guarantees that people will follow an agreement they made with each other. But people are willing to root out entire bloodlines to make sure that their enemy is completely gone or someone that they screwed over. Like no one has, rev- no one comes back from the side of someone that that they've completely betrayed or completely done something that's outlandishly wrong. By hopefully n- none of your people come back to hurt me again. Thinking about the two brothers in that same position is like really weird because we we know how serious stuff is. Like people are willing to fucking kill each other just to make sure that something that they did isn't talked about by other people or that someone doesn't try to come and get what's owed based on some fucked up things that you did to someone else. They're willing to just kill each other for it. Right. So it's like how you feel right now is really important about all the people in your life, not just the people that you're tasked to go sort of counsel over, but when push comes to shove, the people that when you come face to face with, whether or not you'll act against them or for them based on your interests and it seems like Jamie is showing us that he's more on the side of characters that we sort of like warmly relate ourselves to, at least the way that he treats these strangers. But we don't really know how he would treat his brother. But it's like a small window into how far he's gotten along in that process. I think it also 
has to do with the, what we're talking about with Blood Raven, though, because I think so often these themes of family and what that means to you as an individual and how that defines you and also how that defines your choices and how that keeps you rooted in who you are, whether it's for better or for worse or a good or a bad thing. I think we see things like that time and time again. And I think that for both Jamie and Tyrion, it's these constant callbacks into who they are that they use to then propel themselves forward or for somebody like Theon, it's this callback to who he is to keep himself sane. Or same goes for Sansa or Arya. So why wouldn't Bloodraven also probably maybe tap into that in the same way? Hmm. Some people, it's religion. Yeah. Or at least the way that they... But so, those are so often the same thing, I would argue. I wonder what Bloodraven believes in. What he's willing to define himself by, like what's what he's willing to make his operating system, you know, his guiding purpose. I don't know. I think that's a good question. I don't know if that's something he'll teach Bran. What do you think Jamie's is right now at this point in the story? Well, for so long it was Cersei. Mm-hmm. So that's a great question because he does not have that same guiding. I think he's trying to fill it in with this idea of the king of his son replacing that instead like getting back to him and he's taking some satisfaction of doing a good ass job here of course as he should he does not want to face her though it's like dreading it dreading do you blame him (laughs) what what do you think he's dreading the most i i mean i think about how if nothing else else how he's gonna feel regardless of any of the situation that's going on you strip all that away and you put them in front of each other at this point that in and of itself is enough to be fearful of you know is he what I mean? afraid of feeling the loss of not having such devotion for her anymore or is he afraid of feeling such devotion for her even though she's fucked him over so badly i don't know i think both are equally terrifying wouldn't you say i think that in this case for him it's probably going to be I think in in terms of his story arc, it's probably going to be feeling the loss of of what they had. But I think that it really matters what happens here with Brienne because I think that Brienne's a lot in his brain, a, a big anchor as to what relationships can be outside of relationships with outside of his relationship with Cersei. Not necessarily because she's a woman, but maybe also a lot of it because she is, maybe a little bit, mm-hmm. and she's leading him to a trap right so what is that gonna do (laughs) right right i mean i think it depends on what happens there and then how they fare coming out of it because um nobody hears from them for a while right yeah no he goes missing they're like we don't know what's going on with jamie right and so i don't know if it's a scenario where um I mean, obviously, Lady Stoneheart wants to kill him. So I don't know if, like, if she's going to make Brienne do it and it's going to become this whole, like, complicated thing. How are they going to escape? What's going to happen? I think you're asking a good question, like, to the two of them. Mm, that sounds relationship. cool. So Catelyn is like, you need to kill Jamie. Wouldn't that be messed up? And instead, Brienne breaks him out and they escape? Maybe. Dude. Because there's no way that 
their allegiance isn't going to be to each other in that That scenario. That is so... Can you imagine all of the Brotherhood Without Banners chasing Brienne and Jamie again? Yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. Or Jamie yeah, doesn't make cool. it out alive. Or Jamie doesn't make it out. Or they, they, she speaks for him. Yeah, I don't. She fields their questions. Does she have enough sway or power? Maybe. 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 I'm very excited because, you know, love them together. <laughs> Unbiasedly. <laughs> um, and so I think that, I don't know, I thought you, you brought up a really interesting question about something I hadn't really thought about, about if things, if Brand maybe her betraying him almost by taking uh, not almost it is a betrayal how that's yeah, I mean, gonna there's no soldiers she's not at gunpoint right now yeah how that's gonna make how that's gonna change the way he views her dude that is so cold for her to do that to him i know so but what is she supposed to do uh, how about whenever she leaves the encampment she just keeps she stays gone i don't know she's in a tough spot and I'm thinking that she's hoping, she's hoping that he'll understand. Yeah, I mean, she's she's hoping that she, or maybe she's hoping that they they go there and everyone's like, you know what, Jamie has changed. We you read know his what, Sansa is actually here. <laughs> yeah, we read his POVs, and it turns out he's actually a cool guy. He said, "Let those people at Penny Tree eat their food." He, he found said, his redemption arc. <laughs> sorry, inside the hall. Remember, he was like, hey, let's have dinner. It's like, dude, quit acting like you guys have all this food. <laughs> like, why do people feel like they have to? It's so funny how animals act, how we're all animals. I mean, it's like, eh, we still got it going on in here. It's, it's still kind of regal. Yeah. We got all the good food that you need, even though I look like this. Got it all taken care of. It's all good. Yeah, I don't know. That's going to be weird. Jamie scrambled to his feet. My lady, I had not thought to see you again so soon. Gods be good. She looked 10 years older than when I saw... Yikes. (laughs) Gods be good. She looked 10 years older than when I saw her last. And what's happened to her face? That bandage, you've been wounded. We We don't yet know who it is. A bite. She touched the hilt of her sword. The sword that he had given her. Oath keeper. My lord, you gave me a quest. I have, said... Wait, no. Sorry. The girl, have you found her? I have, said Brienne, <laughs> made of Tarth. Where is she? A day's ride. I can take you to her, sir, but you will need to come alone. Elsewise, the hound will kill her. Your read of him, of her saying, my lord, you gave me a quest, and him responding with, I have. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> but, yeah, like I said at the beginning of this episode, I had just forgot, gotten, sorry, you hate to see it, I'd forgotten a little bit. And so there, this chapter is just full of history and Blood Raven and all these interactions. And I was distracted and I was like, oh my gosh, Brienne. So good. This was a greatest hits chapter, though, of uh, just sort of things that I like bringing it all back around. It was just for you. That's not even true. That's not even <laughs> a little bit true. What are you talking about? What kind of thing does it, what kind of thing like that is to say? Crazy person, you're crazy. I have quotes <laughs> that are funny, 
that I wanted to talk about, but they can stand in his owns. Couple oh, LOLs. We could we could talk about them if you want, or you can do a little LOL segment, however you want to handle it. I think it's funny how Egan the Unworthy renamed the hill <laughs> or the sorry, the pair of hills after the second woman he was with because she was <laughs> considered more beautiful. It's like he leveled up to the to the Blackwoods. It's like, oh man, like there's a reason why they have the seat here. And now there's a statue of that woman, Melissa Blackwood, inside of the Godswood to this day. Go off. That's just come on. That is power. It really is power. That's just me making fun of Cersei's letter. <laughs> making fun of it. Here we go. I have four sons. This is Titus Blackwood to Jamie. I have four sons. Would you consider one of them instead? Ben is 12 and thirsty for adventure. He could squire for you if it pleased my lord. Jamie, I'll, I'm going to put something in. I'm going to add something in. Jamie rolled his eyes. I have more squires that I know what to do with. Every time I take a piss, they fight for the right to hold my cock. And you have six sons, my lord, not four. Hilarious. And also true. Imagine it. It's, it's like that needs to be a painting. Like we need to paint that moment because it would be definitive of what part of Jamie's current struggle. That's funny. You hate to see it. Any that's other, it. That's anything else for the highlight reel? Uh... Got to hand it to Jamie for, I guess my own just goes to Jamie for flawlessly handling, not flawlessly, pretty much flawlessly handling the situation. And uh, for his, just the riding away at Bracken, like aggressively riding away after asking for one of his kids too. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Surprise. He's like, hey, let me get that daughter of yours. I know you wanted me to take one of his. Yeah. it's kind of that. I thought that was so poetic. Yikes. I want to give my own to something I already talked about. Classic. When Jamie and Hildy are talking and she asks if he has a wife. And he says, or he thinks to himself, no, I have a sister. <laughs> Which is just like wild to me. And I thought that was such a good quip. When Jamie was like, uh, you go and believe in that. When Hoster said the gods are good, he's like, you go and believe in that. <laughs> That's good for you. Yeah, life is tough, man. He's like, I got my hand cut off by the same guys you're, you guys have all been talking about. Oh, you know what we didn't even talk about at all? There's that moment when he – who is he talking to? Hold on. Give me one second. I'm changing my own. Probably Bracken because they had an epic conversation that we should have read every line of. Yeah, so um, – That was so good. It's with – no, it's with – um, it's not with Bracken. It's with – um. It's with Blackwood. Wow, really showing what your allegiances lie. <laughs> it's right after he takes his son. And he says he can depart within the hour. They meet in the stables. My friends, my bro- I'm not your friend and I'm not your brother. That cleaned the that cleaned the grin off the boy's face. Jamie turned to Lord Titus. My lord, let there be no misunderstanding here. Lord Barrett on Darien, Thoris of Muir, Sander Clegane, Brendan Tully, this woman Stoneheart, dot, dot, dot. All these are outlaws and rebels, enemies to the king and all his leal subjects. If I should learn that you or yours are hiding them, protecting them, or assisting them in any way, I will not hesitate to send you your son's head. I hope you understand that. Understand this as well. I'm not Raymond Frey. I just love a good moment shouting out the squad and... Jamie also so much of something else that we didn't talk about. I guess we brushed on it um, slightly with um, Blackfish, but he is just really reiterating and showing his arm or like putting his arm out there. 
and saying that this has all gone over really well, but let's not forget the reality of the situation. Yeah. Let there be no misunderstanding here. So I'm yes. throwing that in in my in my own thing. I think that in essence is part of the weirdness of the whole thing and part of the weirdness of just being a person overall. And things are a little bit more calm for us here in the real world, but in the story it's just it's like not even even if someone has a seat of the kingdom, that doesn't affect the how locally things are handled and how crazy things can go awry when there's no oversight. And people get power and they're mad about stuff. It's like, holy crap. Like it, it extends past civilized behavior sometimes. And like I said, in this story, it's all the time. And it's like, Jamie wants it to be a, some, wants it to be something, but at the end of the day, he's there to handle the King's justice. So it's not that thing that he really wants it to be. And so to, to turn it back around and like make it grim again in the end is a fitting way to do it. Otherwise, they wouldn't get the uh, the kind of deal that they're actually counting on remaining. But neither is Bracken. I don't think that everyone really believes that this is something that's going to be held up for long and that the Lannisters are going to stay in power. Right. And if any of these people are superstitious, if they really do follow the old gods and we haven't talked about the possibility that we really haven't talked about any suspicions. I know we have more time to do that, but potential conspiracies about who they might be harboring and who they might be communicating with and what they might know. They're from this place. Like Lord Titus Blackwood could be in contact with Bloodraven for all we know. There's a lot of potential weirdness that could be going on here, but for now it seems like they're going to follow what the Lannisters say because they're the guys with soldiers and they don't want skirmishes to happen. They don't want swords to come stabbing out from underneath shields and like take you out of the legs really annoyingly because that kind of wound is really fatal or sometimes really fatal for people right now. And they don't want arrows to come like, don't hit me in the shoulder with an arrow. Can we just stop all this for a little bit? That's what everyone's hoping for is just a respite. And you know what they say? Lannisters always pay their debts. Is that anything? (laughs) Yeah, but in terms of like the guys they want to get stuff from, it's going to be the guys that have the reputation for falling through. No, you're totally right. That's, I mean, like, why not make a deal with these guys? It's like the safest bet right now. It's the best thing going. Yeah, it's part of their rep. Just got to get more soldiers, guys. Get some of those ravens to fight for you. It's going to be weird. Anyway, so that was Owns Extended. You can send us your <laughs> Owns to contact at GameOfOwns.com. You can write us a tweet at Game of Owns on Twitter. You can write us on Facebook. Comment or uh, post like, uh, what do people post Whatever on Facebook? Whatever people do on Facebook these days. <laughs> post an event. <laughs> post uh, us to a your funny event. political meme. Uh, we're Game of Owns on Facebook. And what else we got? Uh, we're going to Ice and FireCon. Oh, yeah. Which Ice we're and really Firecon. excited about. That's coming oh, yeah. up really soon, next month. Yeah, I know we're really excited about that. It's going to be awesome. We've been making so many plans for it, and our friends are getting excited. It's going to be awesome. It is happening at the end of April, April 23rd through 26th at Deer Creek Lodge in Mount Sterling, Ohio. And if you want to come, I think that tickets are available still for the next couple mm-hmm. weeks. I think the early bird pricing is over. But if you want to get a ticket and you put goo at checkout, 
I don't know what that gets you. <laughs> you show us a picture of it and it'll get you an extended No, Hug. we'll give you like no no no. We'll like should we make like a prize package? Sure. No no no. That's a little bit too much. Anyway, just use code goo at checkout. We'll get your We've name tattooed on my left thigh. That is bold. <laughs> no, I better not do that. Go to iceandfire.com and when you use iceandfirecon.com or, or, or it's a, you said iceandfire.com. No, I didn't. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> Tell them to go to conofthrones.com because it'll still send them there. You can find <laughs> all the information including the schedule which is now live which is featuring yours truly. At iceandfirecon.com. And then you can buy a ticket using code GOO. And we'll see you there. You got to come to the con. If you're listening to this podcast, if you're listening to this deep in the podcast right now, you got to come to Ice and Fire Con. Come on. Where else are you going to see Bitter Still cosplay? Amen to that. You know what I'm saying? You got to do it. Chances are coronavirus will not cancel this con like it has South by. RIP. RIP. But don't think I'm not thinking about it. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out. It was awesome. Yeah, it was good. And if you want... Do you feel closer to Jamie? No? I always feel close to Jamie. <laughs> yeah, but do you feel closer? Now that sure. He's even nicer. Like, oh, wow. He's made even more nice decisions. I'm here for the redemption arc. That's for sure. I was going to say speaking of redemption arcs, but I don't know if John's on a redemption arc or not. Mm, Depends. No, John's on an arc to be stabbed by people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, if you want to follow along with us on our next episode, we're going to be reading John 10 from Dance. And if you want to check out our reading order, see where we've been, see where we're going, you can find all of that at afeastwithdragons.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This was fun. I was really excited to record tonight. We were like, I forgot what I was going to say. It's been awesome. Mm-hmm. That's all for now. We'll see you guys soon. Thank you.